yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week I'm delighted to have Markham Nolan, who's the VP of Media Operations for the WWE on my podcast. Markham, you're very welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. The last time we spoke, I think you were a kid in the Sunday Business Post being marched in on a bank holiday uh, um, to, to retrieve an article that I had asked you to do. I think. Correct. Beautiful, a beautiful sunny bank holiday. I remember cycling and parking my bike uh, in an empty Harcourt Street mm-hmm. to retrieve an article for uh, for print deadline that I didn't, I wasn't aware existed. Okay. And you very kindly then kept me there and edited the article mm-hmm. in front of me, but taught me a lot of lessons about uh, understanding the audience and and how to write for your audience. So, um, yeah, it definitely stuck with me, and it was actually it was a good lesson. And here you are on top of the world. Here I am still hacking up on, you know, making a, a weekly podcast. Anyway, um, I'm going to ask you. We're going to get into um, a little bit about the tech behind WWE. Some announcements here in Ireland as well. It's going live every weekend now on uh, Virgin Media, and uh, and some of the other stuff. But just a little bit about your own background, because what you're overseeing here is kind of incredibly impressive. Um, you lead a team of around 30 people there, six teams, uh, WWE content on all the digital platforms, 70 million YouTube subscribers. Um, I checked Twitter, it's about 11 million subscribers there. Um, I think what a job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great job. I love it. It's been, uh, definitely an interesting jump out of news and into this. And, mm. you know, I was a fan of WWE when I was a kid. I watched it on Sky back home in Ireland and. What um, era? I was, I was a big kind of Hulk, Ultimate Warrior era, very okay. early, you know, kind of like that's WrestleMania. A, that's that's right. Yeah. What WrestleMania was it? Hulk, Hulk uh, Warrior was WrestleMania 6. Okay. So you were getting really into it just about the time that I was tuning it. I was a huge uh, uh, late 80s, early 90s. So my big first one was WrestleMania 3. And that would have been when Andre the Giant uh, beat Hulk Hogan. You'd Ricky the Dragon Steamboat against uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. You'd a few really weird ones like Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Adrian Adonis. I got quite a lot of slagging over that one for the purely simple reason that you know I had the same name. Um, 
But uh, I think when Sky came to Ireland, there was a bunch of us that all just kind of really honed in on this. Yeah, I mean, it's then as now, it's it's an amazingly compelling product, and it was it was totally new. You know, it was something Mm. that um, I think none of us expected to be on our televisions, and it was just like nothing else that that existed. And I think it's still the same. And what's what was fascinating was when I came back to WWE after all those years, um, having been you know off doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, I was onboarded as kind of the, the, the onboarding story. They, I, I came, joined WWE just after WrestleMania 35, which was a huge event in MetLife Stadium, just right, not far from me here, um, just outside of New York. And I was joining the week after, and they said, here, look, come along. Here's two tickets. Bring a friend. Go and enjoy the show as a fan, and we'll talk business once they're all and once it all finishes and I sat there and it was, it's like, like no show you'll ever see. It was an absolutely astonishing, um, in stadium show, but it finished with two Irish superstars, Finn Balor and Becky Lynch, both walking away the winners of the last two matches of the night. Mm. And both of them grew up watching it in Ireland and Finn Balor, um, he actually set up a wrestling gym in Bray and trained Becky Lynch. And then they're two of the kind of brightest stars of the WWE. And Becky's obviously off now on maternity, mm-hmm. just had a baby, but kind of amazing to me to, that was a real full circle moment where it was like, wow, these, there's two Irish superstars here who the, the, the entire stadium stuck around to see. It was, you know, closing in on midnight and everyone wanted to be there for the, the triple threat match between Becky Lynch um, Charlotte Flair, who is WWE royalty, and mm-hmm. Ronda Rousey, who's this amazing crossover talent from the world of MMA. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it obviously had a big impact on a lot of people in Ireland. It really did. Um, I mean, I think it's people of a certain age will talk about some of the the icons that then went into different areas like movies, The Rock, John Cena, um, obviously Dave Bautista as well from The Avengers and, and other um, uh, other uh, other movies. I actually bumped into a few of them in the Gresham way back then. Did I ever tell you that? No. Um, I bumped. It was after they played twice in Dublin in the I think ninety one ninety two. Bumped into the Gresham. Met Jake the Snake. Met both Heart Foundation. Jake the Snake told me a scurrilous story, which I can't repeat here uh, on air about Miss Elizabeth um, at the time. Right. Um, but they, it, there was a kind of a mystique kind of about the whole thing, as there still is. You talk about the production values, and we're going to talk about the tech of this now um, in a little bit. But for people of a, a certain generation, which I'm I'm talking about myself here, um, I guess it's really interesting to see the longevity of how this has all lasted for, you know, yeah. at a really top level for th- WrestleMania 37 now is not this weekend, but next, the weekend after that. 37 WrestleManias. Yeah, and I, WrestleMania itself was this groundbreaking concept of, you know, pre-WrestleMania, um, wrestling in the US was fragmented. It was all these mm. kind of regional promoters. And what Vince McMahon did was bring it all together into this enormous show. And that's really what kicked off the whole concept of the WWE. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you talk about the different eras. There's definitely people glam on to different, different pieces of it. We think, I think we have like 350 talent now between the live roster all those legends who come back and are part of the, the history, but pop back in every now and then, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, The Rock, etc. And you know, there is there is still a mystique because it, it it's a very different, uh, it's very different entertainment product than anything else. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well with the Thunderdome about but the way that you you've put it together during COVID. You of course um, came from CBS Digital, I think, into 
uh, WB. But before that, you were with Storyful. Uh, you were one of the That's people right. who built it here in Dublin from from 2010. Yeah, um, an interesting journey. I spent three years with Storyful. Um, literally came in to just test a CMS with a couple of guys that I knew from the Irish mm. blogging scene, uh, Gavin, Gavin Sheridan and Sheridan, Mark Coffin. Yeah. And, um, and just kind of clicked with them because, you know, Gavin, Gavin Mark, very technically minded people and uh, liked what they were doing. I saw, you know, we saw the germ of this idea that, that Mark and the guys had, which was there's an explosion in social media. Um, and how can we how can we mine that? And how can we make it safe for um, for the big players to to use? So that became, I think, I think we we laid the tracks for how people go about verifying and finding stuff on social media. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole an whole industry was bloomed out of that. And then I think news organizations around the world built out their own teams um, on the principles that we were kind of at the forefront of developing at the time. Mm. And then, you know, just around the time where Storyful got to a point where. Um, there was a couple of people looking, a couple of entities looking to acquire it. I got an offer from uh, a startup in New York to do something similar but slightly different, and it was just kind of too good to say no to. So rather than rather than um, go into the news court machine, I said thanks and, and best of luck, and I moved on to to New York, and then I landed at CBS, as you said. And it was an interesting transition because you know the, the technology part of Storyful was what really I found so fascinating because we were mm-hmm. taking like. We were taking all these workflows um, and trying to make them into technology and make them into products to make the, all the repetitive stuff you had to do much more efficient and quick. Mm. And so that kind of stuck with me all the way through. And by the time I got to CBS, my role was totally different. It was it had more, more of data journalism into technology and management. And at CBS, I was running streaming platforms. So that's largely what I do mm. now for WWE. CBS, there was this innovative 24-7 news channel that only existed on streaming platforms and online and so i was i went in to manage that and manage the audience growth for that and figure out right how can we understand our audience better how can we grow it and how can we use all the different platforms that we have in concert to grow it and that's Mm. how um, when the role popped up at wwe i said look different products um but you know same principles and and it was the next step really when you got that um approach and when you joined the WWE what was that like because you were going from a you know Storyville and CBS and these are hard news organizations you're talking about you know footage from Afghanistan of bombings or assassinations and then you're going to WWE which is this huge sports entertainment cultural behemoth in its own very very different yes and no I think um the first the first thing I noticed was I had done two years in CBS of the most intense political time in US, you know, in, in, in memory, I think. Um, I joined there the day before Trump got elected and did two and a half years of, you know, reporting during the Trump administration, which was fascinating, but relentless. And going somewhere where the content itself was just, I mean, the mission at WWE is putting smiles on people's faces, right? That's what we do. And walking in the door, you can feel it in the culture. It was just everyone enjoys what we do. Everyone enjoys the product, and it just just loves being there. So that the mental health difference was incredible. Mm. Just going to a company where that that kind of that was what we were delivering. The goal was so different. It was you weren't dealing with the heaviest content in the world. You were trying to make sure people were enjoying themselves as much as possible. Mm. So that was great. And um, when it came to when it came to the nuts and bolts of the job they're actually really similar and that's kind of why i was interested in going it was you're going to a company that has innovated in streaming that has led the charge into the ott space and tried to be a front runner cbs was the same you know the 
BSN news product, which has now been versioned out for, for various cities around the States and is going international. That was ahead of its time. WWE, um, I joined when the WWE Network, which is our product, it was it's basically Netflix for wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, 12,000 hours of wrestling content all on this subscriber platform. Um, it, it was ahead of its time. It was five years old when I joined. No, no, no brand had really gone and done this direct consumer play in this very kind of vertical way. And so I saw an opportunity to take all the stuff that I'd learned managing this new streaming product and bring it into the entertainment sphere. And there wasn't many people who had my kind of weird mix of, of experience. Mm. So it was a natural fit. So when it came to, you know, the technical bits of it, um, a, a reasonably good fit. And then, you know, a whole bunch of very interesting technical projects were, were rolling out at WWE at the time. We were um, refreshing the front and back ends of the whole OTT system all in one go within a couple of weeks of me arriving, managing that, and then um, trying to lean into all the new functionality that that allowed us present to the user and figure out what what we could do with it and what how we would program it. So, mm. um, yeah, it was it was it was it may seem like a very different trans a very different thing, but work-wise, the transition was it made perfect sense. Yeah, and sometimes when I look at uh, the communications on some of the platforms, I do wonder about a, a an entity like the WWE whether whether at any point, because there are editorial decisions made in communications platforms as well, YouTube and Twitter. Sometimes I wonder whether the current vogue at the moment is to talk smack uh, online. If you look at um, Amazon over the last uh, couple of weeks, actually quite a lot of companies, the Elon Musk, you get an awful lot of traction that way. I would have thought that would have been perfect for the WWE, you know, to get into this sort of smack talking persona. But it's very polite. It's very respectful and very kind of, you know, um, uh, very, I suppose maybe it's kid friendly. Maybe that's the, that's the key. Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's the, there's the business side of WWE, which is definitely, um, very user friendly. Um, it's, you know, watch it with your family and we, and we've, I think the company has evolved and part of why it's been had such longevity is because it has evolved from, um, from periods where it was maybe wasn't quite so family friendly to now where it mm. is. And, you know, our audiences are seven to people from kids who are seven years old all the way up to their seventies. It's, um, it's an amazing thing, but, um, we have, so you look, if you look at the, the official channels, they're going to represent the company and some of them will have a, a more of a voice like the, the WWE universe handle on Twitter is definitely mm. more in the voice of, of the fandom of WWE, which is right. um, pretty phenomenal. But then, you know, with all of our talent, all of the superstars and everyone, their footprint is over a billion followers. Mm. And a lot of the back and forth between them, like we kind of let them speak in their own voices. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's for them to have. And a lot of that is not polite. They're, they're um, carrying over the, what happens in the ring out into social media. And there's a lot of back and forth there. Well, I remember Becky Lynch about two years ago, there was a, uh, it was a storyline or it was a controversy uh, going on. And uh, she said, that is unmitigated bullshit on Twitter. And I was like, <gasps> you know, but um, I guess that's what you're talking about. I mean, they're they're not afraid to be vocal, and like their mm. their ring personas are very much an extension of their real life personas. And um, you know, I think part of what makes WWE such a fascinating thing for for the fans is where is the line between um, between the, the the person and their ring persona. And one of the things I love about the content is I, I had to re-educate myself coming coming out of hard news for you know fifteen odd years into this. I had to reacquaint myself with who were the current superstars and what were the storylines that were happening, mm-hmm. but also where did it all come from. And the nice thing about the network is we have all these great documentaries. Uh, our documentaries team produces these, these beautiful shows 
um, some of them look at the more recent stuff. And I know that um, the WW24 documentaries on Finn Balor and Becky Lynch and others were, are going to make their way to Virgin Media, which I'm delighted to hear and mm-hmm. uh, to, to see them get an airing in Ireland. But on the That's every Saturday morning, I think. I think it's every, half 10 at Saturday morning on Virgin Media, in case anybody's wondering. That's right. 10, 10.30 on Sundays uh, is SmackDown. And I, uh, I'm i not sure what, I can't remember what time Raw is on, but um, they're... Uh, you're going to see some of the documentaries that take you behind the scenes a little bit and lift the lid on the people behind, behind the show. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing to kind of see, right? uh, If you watch only the show, you just see the evolution of uh, Mm. a superstar in the ring, but behind the scenes, when they walk through the curtain, there's just so much more that goes on. And I think if you're, if you're someone who wants to understand what really makes them all tick, um, that's, that's really what does it for me. That's been, uh, it's really opened my eyes to, just how much depth there is to it all. Well, one of the interesting things about some of the uh, wrestlers and people around the WWE is what they do in their spare time. In the Web Summit uh, a couple of years ago, I bumped into, bumped into, I chased after um, Triple H and uh, Stephanie McMahon. They were both uh, there, like a pathetic fanboy, I got pictures of uh, both of them. and uh, But they were there, you know, for their own business. Uh, reasons. It, and we see that a lot more. We're, we're well used to um, going into the movie business. Now they seem to be going a little bit more into to tech and sort of tech uh, tech variants. Um, I do wonder what happens, whether a modern wrestler becomes an entrepreneur or whether becoming more conscious of that side of things as well. You have to, because to, to be successful in the ring, you have to do a couple of things. You have to be an amazing athlete. Like they, they are all increasingly these athletic performers who can pull off, you know, double somersaults off the top, top ropes. So there's that aspect of it, but you have to be a showman. And I think they, the ones who succeed are incredible on the microphone, but they also, you know, are the ones who can tap most into the reactions from the audience and the reactions, reactions from the fans and who really kind of feed off it and, and try and understand it. Like as a, as a, you know, a, an apocryphal story of, of John Cena, who's probably one of the best and best in class in that respect, that he would, he really wanted to know exactly what was resonating with the fans. He would go and try and find out, you know, what, which of my t-shirts sold more at this show? I want to know so that he could go, well, that's part of my character that people really mm-hmm. are interested in. And, and, but in real time in, in the arenas, the, the audience is, um, is what they're reacting to. And they're, and they're really kind of playing to that. And the, the audience and the, the fans become a, a part of the show in a large respect. So it's been, you know, that's why I think that the last year has been an incredibly challenging one, but also why, for us, getting the audience back into stadiums in some shape or form was, was absolutely critical. And that's, you know, mm. another part of our tech and innovation, probably why Steph and Triple H go to the likes of the Web Summit is so that we can keep innovating. And um, when COVID happened, we were, we had the, the muscle memory internally to find tech solutions for the problems that were out there. And one of them became the, what was known as the Thunderdome. So we worked with a crowd called the Famous Group to have our audience piped into the arena with thousands of screens wrapping around the ring mm-hmm. so they can be part of the action and the the superstars can see the audience and, and they can actually kind of interact with them. And now at WrestleMania, we'll have a limited audience in Raymond James Stadium in, in Tampa on April 10th and 11th, but we'll also still have the element of this, you know, the virtual um, the virtual audience going forward. Yeah. So Triple H and Stephanie are kind of exemplars in that. Like um, Stephanie, obviously part of the, it was part of her family business and she, um, was both part of the in-ring show, but also has driven the business to new heights. And as the chief brand officer, has done an amazing job of just finding new ways to to engage people 
that the WWE might not have found before. And then Triple H, I think, is internally is is hugely respected for being someone who's driven NXT, which is the third brand, like kind of built it like an insurgent brand within the company and retained that value. And and that's become a pipeline for for talent as well. So the best talent has, has emerged from that development process. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you look at some of the documentaries on Netflix or others, quite a few of them, ex-wrestlers, and there was a particularly poignant one with Jake the Snake, which I think he was he was living in a, a trailer and he was rescued by Diamond, someone Dallas, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but there's quite a lot of uh, wrestlers who, like footballers, um, some of them do well afterwards, some of them kind of uh, boy. What does the WWE do for them? Does it, is there any kind of, are you kind of on your own once, once you exit? Is there a kind of a benevolent um, fund, if you like? I mean, I, I think the WWE looks after his talent um, very well. And I think um, it's like any, like any employer. I think you, you're, you're constantly trying to make sure that you're, um, you're looking after the ones who are, um, who are driving the business on. And mm. there's definitely a, a very healthy relationship with our, with the legends, um, a lot of them are, are, are kept in the fold and will, will, be, will be part of our shows going forward. And we, you can see that, I think, you know, when you go to any of the, mm. the major arena shows, there's always an, an element of that. And also our, our Hall of Fame, which is coming ahead of WrestleMania, where we, we celebrate the best. Mm. I um, think Hogan is being, is he being re-entered into the Hall of Fame for a second time? He's part of the hosting team for, for WrestleMania. Um, and I mean, Hulk Hogan has been part of the WWE and one of the big faces since time immemorial there, you know? Right. Right, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, whatever your incarnation was. Um, so just a little bit, again, about the tech. My uh, sound engineer here, Gavin, said he has shares in the WWE. I didn't know that. He said he's made money on it as well, actually. He got a dividend of a euro, I think, um, in his sure. most recent uh, uh, payout. But he was wondering about the tech in the that are used in the big arenas. Anytime I see it, it's always the biggest screens, the biggest the biggest of everything. Yeah. How does How does that work now? I mean, it's an enormous rolling circus, and it's not a, the the in ring or the the in um, the live event stuff is not part of my remit. But having been at the shows, the WWE wants to put on the bet the greatest show on earth, and that's mm. you know kind of the, the stated goal. And when you go to a WrestleMania or something like that, that's um, part of it is pyrotechnics, part of it is um, you know it's a, it's a very multi multifaceted thing. You want to have this enormous big screen um, because for every superstar that comes out, they have their own entrance music, they have their own graphics, they have their own package. It's a huge visual extravaganza. Mm. So the technology, uh, you know, the fact that it, at its height, when we were, were going around the country, you had almost 500 shows a year, um, and we were able to put on this kind of spectacle at every single one of those is, is a pretty phenomenal thing. Um, and then you know, some of that is in partner with our, our partners, our TV partners in the US. So that's mm -hmm. USA Network and, and Fox who run um, Raw and Smack, Raw and NXT are on USA and then SmackDown is on Fox. Um, so th it's just this enormous production service. Yeah. And that's the live event side. Um, I think on the, on the other, the other side and the, the back office, which might be more nerdy and less sexy, we have an army of people who are pouring over the data that's coming out of all this mm. and trying to understand on a minute by minute basis, you know, what are people reacting to? What's the, what's the most interesting actual angle with our fans and the the flywheel nature of WWE is that gets um, that data gets processed and it feeds into decisions that we make around the merchandise, uh, where to go next, um, even you know some of the elements of, of how storylines get developed. We're just trying to follow 
you know, what, what do people like? What is, what are they getting the most enjoyment out of? Sometimes what's antagonizing them the most? Because mm. you don't want it to be all making people happy. You mm. want people to be angry sometimes. You want them to go, that's not, that didn't turn out the way I want it. So they'll stick around until things turn. And um, it's the storytelling aspect and how the storytelling is done. Uh, you'll often hear the superstars say, well, that show or that, that match was just storytelling at its finest. Mm. Um, because you, you're bringing people on this emotional journey. Mm. And uh, it's funny, it's not all just seat of the pants. There's data involved in it as well. Mm. Um, as the company has grown, so is the sophistication. And um, seeing it all at its, at its, you know, when it's humming on a, on a show night or on a pay-per-view night is kind of an amazing thing. There was a, I'm not sure if you watched the documentary on Andre the Giant, but um, apparently he was notorious for just tearing up storylines or just not especially um, adhering to, you know, pre-match meetings on it. And there was a, apparently a famous one between him and Randy Savage where uh, Randy uh, came in and said, look, um, this is what I, I would like to do. And uh, Andre said nothing except he just kept saying, no, baby. Oh. He, he was obsessed with not having to deal with the macho man's kind of slithery uh, torso, um, which was part of his whole um, look at the time. But anyway, um, Markham, thank you very much for for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations as well on all of your success. Uh, can't wait to see um, what happens in the next few years. Also, WrestleMania 37, which is on not this weekend, but the weekend afterwards, 17th and the 18th. No, uh, April, April 10th and 11th. Sorry, 10th and 11th. Sorry, I'm getting way, way ahead of myself. Sorry, this week is Easter weekend, yes. Um, so Mark Nolan, VP of Media Operations of the WWE, thank you very much for joining us. And from me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. That's all we have time for. I'll talk to you again same time next week. Bye-bye.